Chapter Eleven, Part Two of Guide to the Study of the Christian Religion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Guide to the Study of the Christian Religion, edited by Gerald Burney Smith. Chapter Eleven, Part Two Contemporary Social Problems. Fundamental Scientific Discipline. The equipment essential to social leadership. There is no easy substitute for scientific toil. The traditional and conventional equipment of the college and theological seminary of the past has left men helpless in the presence of new situations in which Christian laymen find themselves in consequence of the industrial revolution of the last century and the problems it has brought. It may possibly be an open question with some preachers whether they should ever try to help the men of their congregations find the path of righteousness in this babel and labyrinth of conflicting interests. Perhaps many saintly men, while remaining quite innocent of the knowledge of the actual world, may inspire and comfort and may have the gift of soothing with rhetorical and poetic charms. There is a literature of power and beauty which belongs to all times, because it has a universal value and it is by no means to be underrated in these materialistic and mammon-serving times. Certainly no preacher who has missed the opportunity to study social science should pretend to instruct others when he is incompetent himself. There are others, however, who believe themselves called to give strong intellectual help to honest Christian men seeking to do justice in a new world where all ancient experience is inadequate, and to proclaim a judgment to come against the contemporary and impenitent workers of iniquity. Ministers of this type are also needed, and they should at least be tolerated by the orthodox. In a period of intellectual pitilessness and readjustment there is a good need of charitable judgment on both sides. It may prove to be necessary for the Church to provide for specialization in the ministry, for the Spirit grants a diversity of gifts. The artistic preacher has his function and his following, but he is likely to jumble statistics. The scientific temperament inclines to severe and exact reasoning on the basis of precise measurement of facts, and there are congregations which enjoy and profit by the kind of sermons which grow naturally out of such a method. In the good time coming, when Union churches will displace sectarian chapels, it may not be difficult to establish a new and modern itinerant system, lest one good custom should corrupt the world. In a well-trained orchestra the violin does not say to the violoncello, I have no need of thee. In a truly Catholic church, we ought to find devout mystics who dwell much alone and apart in protracted meditation, and who are able to make the invisible seem real. Let them dream their dreams, but not meddle with strikes. The musician, who tries to make steel rails, imperils his fellow workmen and loses the cunning of his delicate fingers. The knowledge which is required for this novel situation is that contained in the modern sciences on which our industrial technique, our administration of business and government, is based. Preparation for understanding the ethical difficulties and obligations of the modern man demands a study not only of the essential ideas of the civilizations of Greece, Rome, Palestine, and the Hanseatic cities, but of physics, chemistry, physiography, biology, preventive medicine, economics, politics, and sociology. A profound blunder has been committed by men who have been eager to master in a fortnight all the social problems, while they were still without training in social science. This is a rank quackery, and brings the speaker or writer into contempt, and it injures church and religion. The general social sciences, as economics, political science, jurisprudence, sociology, with statistics as a method of research which belongs to all, have for their first purpose a description of the phenomena of contemporary human association, and their explanation in terms of antecedents and causes. 
the special or practical social sciences have for their function the study of the improvement of methods of promoting human welfare by concerted volition guided by knowledge and urged by motives the historical evolution of social ideals and institutions evolution of the race and its institutions the popular conception which we have inherited from traditional theology is that of a series of disconnected unrelated events nailed together by some constant supernatural magical unintelligible intervention the modern scientific conception is that of an imminent organic force working steadily and perpetually without a break and without interference the idea of evolution theism has been held to by partisans of both views but the modern scholar whether theist or agnostic habitually thinks in terms of evolution the religious leader, who has followed only the traditional theological curriculum, cannot understand the modern man of scientific training, and cannot himself be understood by modern men. They live in different worlds of thought, they speak a different language. If a spiritual guide really desires to become intelligible to the men of our age, he cannot do better than to put himself through as thorough a course of study as possible in the fundamental principles of biology, psychology, the evolution of animals and man, early cultural history, anthropology, the evolution of morals and religion. The importance of historical knowledge. There is another scientific discipline which is necessary to attain a sane view of contemporary problems, the study of history, the history of institutions, and the history of reflective thought about institutions and experiences. Thus, there is a history of industry and commerce, of political organization and law, of art and literature, of domestic life, of religion and ecclesiastical forms. There is also a history of the theories of economics, politics, ethics, dogma, and ceremonies of science, inventions, arts. The great advantage of the evolutionary conception is that it tends to produce a chastened hopefulness, prepares the mind for inevitable changes, and curbs immoderate haste and mob fury. Short views of social conditions paralyze effort, because the mind has no help from a survey of the long road upward which humanity has already travelled, and of the achievements of the human intellect and will, in spite of innumerable blunders and crimes. On the other hand, a study of evolution steadies the mind and checks animal and savage impulse by revealing the power of habit and custom, the inertia of institutions once established, the necessity of making new adjustments, both external and internal, before a new system can be made to work. Take, for example, the questions which just now are so difficult to discuss with philosophic calm and clear vision, those relating to the control of industry and commerce. The passion which formerly made the discussion of theology and politics so spectacular has died down. The partisan instincts of mobs now concentrate upon the mastery of the instruments of production, land, machines, railways, telegraphs, banks. Never was self-possession and freedom from prejudice so necessary to avert a shipwreck. Never was it so difficult as now to be just to antagonists. The evolutionary concept may become general enough to help us pass the rocks and shoals which now seem so ominous. The conservatives who now control society's capital and direct it are partly right in declaring that their services are useful and necessary, that the people have not yet developed that degree of intelligence, morality, loyalty, and skill in government which is necessary for the management of great industries through elected representatives on salary. But the conservatives often err in supposing that the capitalist manager system is ancient and eternal, for it is neither. It is recent in origin, is being rapidly transformed, is even now competing with both hand industries and public industries, and utopians see signs of its gradually going into the hands of receivers. 
a genuinely evolutionary view would modify much of the dogmatism which is far too prevalent in industrial disputes the main aspects of the development of industry and commerce it is impossible to interpret the religious life and thought of the hebrew people and primitive christians without a careful study of the stages of development so it is equally impossible to understand the capitalist manager system of our age without keeping before our minds the antecedent forms of industry out of which our system has grown the studies of schmoller grundriss der allgemeinen volkswirtschaftslehre leipzig dunker and humblot nineteen hundred to nineteen o four Bücher, Die Entstehung der Volkswirtschaft, 8th edition, Tübingen, Laub, 1910, Sombart, for example, Der moderne Kapitalismus, Leipzig, Dunker und Humblot, 1902, English translation, The Quintessence of Capital, New York, E. P. Dutton and Company, 1915, and Sozialismus und Soziale Bewegung im 19. Jahrhundert, Jena, Fischer, 1896, English translation, Socialism and the Social Movement, New York, Putnam, 1898. And other recent economists enable us to present this evolution in its essential features with a high degree of certainty and clearness. Thinking chiefly of European and American history, we are able to discover the following stages. A. Primitive industrial conditions. First on the horizon of our knowledge are the pastoral groups settling down to agriculture, each man cultivating the soil and producing only what his own household requires, with no excess product for the market. The individual householder belongs to a village community, and later passes under the protection and control of a feudal landlord. Princes, bishops, and knights have large domains, but also live on what their estates, with contributions from vassals, can produce. All live near the edge of starvation, and in times of scarcity the mortality from famine and disease is high capital is small the villagers are exposed to the exactions of nobles with some protection from the village organization and the struggles of classes begin in the resistance of peasants to exploitation by their social superiors b medieval industry and trade during the early medieval period the rise of towns and cities offers a new starting point of industrial political and moral development with improved methods of agriculture and stock breeding with better roads and boats the surplus product of the fields finds a local market in towns in exchange for the manufactured commodities made by the craftsmen only in articles of luxury such as spices and jewels is there trade with distant regions bulky articles cannot be transported far producers and consumers are personal acquaintances and each man has his customers slowly a few men of higher ability and enterprise accumulate capital undertake larger contracts employ money in exchange instead of barter population becomes more dense division of labor is necessary social classes are differentiated conflicts arise over division of profits use of markets taxes and tributes guild regulations c the downfall of feudalism from the fifteenth to the eighteenth century the middle-sized states and the modern great nations emerge under the royal houses as in germany france spain england the feudal lords and the church are held responsible to kings the supremacy of the papacy is weakened and falls capital funds are enlarged and the concentration of wealth and trade in a few hands becomes more frequent and manifest new trades arise to meet new wants the reformation transforms the political and spiritual direction of society d modern industrial conditions with the colonial policies following the discovery of sea routes to india and america trade becomes world-wide the village market widens into an intercontinental market the vast new enterprises require great capital larger numbers of workmen under one management joint stock corporations with limited liability 
division of labor, increased use of machinery. The invention of the steam engine still further calls for more compact population, larger masses of capital, more stringent regulation and discipline of labor. The industrial commander, whose energy and ability, rather than refinement and humanity, give him first place, becomes ascendant, while priests, scholars, and feudal nobility retreat into the background. The last word of the eighteenth century is freedom and individualism, and with free trade and free competition the businessman becomes a prince, capital becomes colossal, trade unions are fought to their death, legal protection is opposed tooth and claw, and monstrous cruelties, with the degradation of working people, at last shock and alarm the nations and awaken a social conscience. The reaction sets in about 1860, with an assertion of the moral duty of the state to all its citizens. Over against the huge corporations, with their vast financial and political dominion, rise the national federations of labor, the extension of the suffrage, the increased political power of the wage-earners, and the international organization of socialism. We now live in the midst of a transformation more significant than the fall of the Roman Empire, the rise of modern nationalities, or the Reformation. We cannot yet see clearly for the smoke of the battle, our nearness to the contestants, and our personal participation in the passions of the conflict. The Church and Modern Industrialism The Church itself, once mistress of empires, is stripped of all authority and is reduced to a voluntary association protected by the State. Its claim to infallibility is disowned. The problem is altogether new, and the revolution finds ecclesiastical leaders confused and unprepared. They go out with ancient bows and arrows to resist rapid-firing field-pieces and titanic cannon. Their medieval commands are mocked alike by masters and men. The movement sweeps along as if the clergy did not exist. The echoes of ancient creeds sound hollow and faint in the roar of the contemporary struggle of interests. And yet the Church carries in its traditions and its heart the only principle which can assure the future of mankind, if only its prophets learn in time how to interpret and apply it to the problems of our own age. THE NEED OF HISTORICAL PERSPECTIVE there are radicals who still think in terms of magic and miracle, and who make their dupes believe that by some universal strike or other direct action the world will be made over in a few hours. They are like a band of Chinese pirates who stole a complicated and costly electric machine from a railway station in Kwangtung province, and then did not know how to make it function. If the IWW could by some cataclysm take possession tomorrow of all the mines, mills, and railways of the country, would they be able to use them to advantage, or at all? Those whose mode of thought is evolutionary are convinced that democracy has come to stay, but that it has much to learn. That boys cannot do the work of men, nor crowds of turbulent reds, trained to destroy machinery, be long trusted with its direction. It is true, the alternative is sometimes provoking. Paying a few Napoleons of finance fabulous sums for their as yet indispensable services, while submitting to their taunts that it is all their own private business into which the public has no concern or right to intrude. The only possible mode of avoiding tragic conflict under these conditions of passion and prejudice, arrayed against passion and prejudice, is to cultivate the historic sense. The Evolution of Ideas and Ideals not only industry and commerce, but all other activities of mankind are in this life-current of evolution, and should be studied in the same spirit. There is a measure of truth in the economic interpretation of history which finds in the modifications of the industrial organization the clue to changes in art, science, morals, religion, philosophy. But this interpretation is inadequate. Physical changes do affect thinking, but constant experience and common sense reveal the other side of reality. 
we men modify things by thinking and by action the capitalistic system is a mode of belief and if socialism ever dominates the world it will be because men have thought upon it imagined it resolved to have it and voted it it is amusing to see the immense energy of the leaders of the materialistic school who teach fatalism and practice idealism with all their might we must be content in this scant sketch barely to indicate various aspects of the evolution of man's spiritual life which are so amply and ably treated in competent works on the history of the evolution of the sciences of the technical inventions and processes of the fine arts of ethics of religion of theology and of philosophy the domestic educational political and professional institutions have passed through various stages and each change in all departments of thought or action has set up profound changes in all directions we have already touched upon the evolution of christianity itself of its ideas teachings organization administration in the church this course of development ran parallel with that of art politics science industry law and there has been constant interaction and reciprocal influence among all the movements of the human spirit culture history ought not to be conceived as an evolution outside the will of humanity but as the very deed of humanity events do not happen they are made and made by the human will evolution of poor relief christianity is essentially charity in the deepest finest and most real meaning the first organization of the churches provided for relief of the distressed widows and orphans and this function of the churches has never been abandoned though it has often been perverted in the simple life of the small primitive congregations the faithful brought their offerings of money or commodities and laid them before the bishops for distribution and both men and women were appointed to assist the elders in the administration the officers became more numerous and specialized with the growth of the church in greece and italy the churches took on the form of associations which were protected by law and which in addition to regular membership fees had an established custom of offering gifts for the poor in connection with worship to the love feasts the indigent were invited and there satisfied their hunger with the cessation of heathen persecutions the recognition of christianity as the state religion the increase of war and poverty the acquisition of estates and enormous incomes the principles and methods of relief changed almsgiving was often impulsive and without method and the largesses of bishops often encouraged mendicancy without preventing suffering the causes of misery were too deep and powerful to be cured with doles and the church had no policy of prevention the belief in the merit of almsgiving without regard to its effects on the poor became popular hospices hospitals monasteries and orders gradually took the place of the congregational and personal relief system of the early church the road to the church door was the resort of beggars ignorance of medical science made the devotion of merciful christians impotent to stay the pestilence heal the leper and restore reason to the insane the history of medieval charity is a tragedy of errors a record of superstition but also a sublime revelation of consecration and mercy struggling in the dark with the rise of commerce and free cities in the twelfth century and later the merchant class rose in influence and gradually transferred the direction of relief from the clergy to the laity this tendency being more marked in northern europe the lutheran reformation did not improve methods of relief wars and theological controversies paralyzed the hopeful beginning in the sixteenth century the calvinistic churches developed ecclesiastical and civil relief while england in sixteen o one established the first poor law on the principle that the entire christian nation ought to combine for the relief of its weakest member and this principle is shaping the policies of all modern nations 
the humanism of the sixteenth century and the illumination of the eighteenth century went beyond lutheranism and calvinism in demanding that religion should carry the torch of science to light the dark ways of struggling humanity in modern times that regard for the lowly which once was limited to feeble little conventicles has become the accepted obligation of all the mightiest governments of the earth the charity of churches and of voluntary associations is still precious and necessary but in the main auxiliary to the institutions of the commonwealth the development of modern social political ideals gradually since the reformation social politics has been differentiated from poor relief friendship and justice now aim rather to prevent misery than to palliate it and to make men self-supporting rather than to cultivate helpless whining parasites and beggars christianity though it did not absolutely create something out of nothing published and developed in the world finer and higher notions of the value of personality the dignity of sonship in god the reality of brotherhood in the human race local sympathy gained a cosmopolitan character the physical world and the glory of empire would vanish in flame and earthquake but god and the soul were imperishable such ideas as these with a gospel of redemption and hope took captive the rude but vigorous and conquering barbarians augustine gathered up in a great system of theology the ideas of christianity neoplatonism origen and plotinus and provided a philosophy for the church arabian physicians of the middle ages became acquainted with the natural science of aristotle and other greek philosophers the contacts of the crusades and travels of jewish merchants brought this learning to the scholars of europe and helped the tendency to study nature directly and not merely by tradition and now church and state seem to be seeking a way not of suppressing each other but of serving through diverse methods the welfare of mankind in the partnership of unifying ideals and scientific procedure end of chapter 11 part 2